it was called the Mongol Rally, and it's it's an annual event that takes place to raise money for charity, where there's like a few hundred teams each year that drive, starting in the UK, and they end nowadays. It's in Ulan Ude, Siberia, it's just north of Mongolia, and you choose your own route in between. So there's no winners or losers. The goal is just kind of to get to the end without breaking down too badly, and. The main rule of the event is that there's there's not a lot of rules of the event, but one of the rules is that they make you take a tiny car, a car that's kind of totally not suitable for a journey of this sort. So they actually limit the engine size. And we ended up taking a Nissan Micra, which is like a little tiny hatchback. Basically, someone described it as like a middle-aged woman going to get her groceries in central London or something. It's, it's not like a car you take over mountains and through deserts and everything like we did. Welcome back to another episode of Drive With Us Podcast. Woo! I'm Bob Neat. <laughs> and I'm Taryn G. And today's driver is Scott Gurian. But before we properly introduce him and share our conversation, we had a little quick car keeping. This is something I was debating whether to share or not. And I feel like the season has been a little tough on both of us. And I don't, it's hard to talk about this. I don't know if you noticed in any of our past interviews this season or maybe in the future ones to come, but for some of them, I felt like, well, I'm going to speak for myself. I don't know about you. I felt like I wasn't my normal, usual self as I was in the past two seasons. I don't know if it came across that way, but I just felt that way. And I felt bad for our guests because I wasn't able to give the full excitement that I usually give during interviews and I felt like I was letting them down and I was wasting their time. I don't know if it's just a pandemic and I, I feel like a lot of people have been struggling during the pandemic and you know it's still going on so I just feel really really bad. So I hope you enjoy these interviews and I hope you at least enjoy their stories even if I wasn't my normal usual self. Well anyways let's get back into the lighthearted conversations about driving and less about this serious topic that we just dived into for a little bit. But today's driver is Scott Gurian. He is a Peabody Award winning journalist and host of Far From Home, an immersive travel documentary podcast that takes listeners on crazy adventures to far-flung parts of the world. He has done everything from wandering through abandoned buildings in Chernobyl to attending a hallucinogenic healing ceremony in Peru. Having been all around the world, Scott shared his many driving adventures and driving mishaps that occurred, like the time he and his brother decided to participate in the Mongol rally in a tiny car. Welcome, Scott, to Drive With Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Before we get into your crazy driving experiences, we like to start off getting to know a little bit about your background of driving. So what are some of the places that you've driven and where are you currently? So I'm currently at home in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York. I've driven, I mean, around the U.S., you know, like not not all the way across the country, but about halfway across. I, I lived in Oklahoma for a few years. So I drove out there and back. Outside of the U.S., I've driven in the Caribbean. I've driven in Spain. I guess the biggest trip I took was a, a road trip I took a few years ago where um, I actually drove about 18,000 miles from the UK to Mongolia and back through about huh. 23 countries. And that was in a, a little like British car that I bought. So the steering wheel was on the right side and that was my first time driving stick. So it was a whole bunch of things all together. That was quite a driving experience. Oh, wow. 
That must have been adventurous. And I'm sure a lot of things happened, especially since it was such a long drive. Yes. Before we get into the actual details of that story, let's get into what kind of driver you are a little bit. So how would you describe your relationship with driving? Is it something you prefer to do or do you like being the passenger? Do you like love it? Do you hate it? What's your relationship with it? I'm not wild about being a passenger. If I need to get somewhere, I I like to be the driver. If I'm not like taking public transit or something, I do like living. I'm lucky that I live near New York where I can just hop on public transit. I I don't like to, I I wouldn't want to live in a place where I was totally dependent on a car like Los Angeles or somewhere. I like to have that option, but driving myself, like, especially after having taken that big trip a few years ago, I don't mind driving long distances. I mean, I try not to drive more than like eight or so hours in a day. The roads are a lot better here than a lot of other places I've driven. So I really don't mind being on the road for a long time. I I hate sitting in traffic, but you know, as long as the traffic's moving, I, I don't mind. Yeah, after driving like across 23 countries, it's like, what's 10 hours? <laughs> exactly. Have you ever been in a situation where you were the passenger and you were like, oh, my God, this was a bad idea. I should not have gotten in this car. This person is a terrible driver. Yeah, I mean, certainly I've been in cars with bad drivers. I'm trying to think if any come to mind right off the top of my head where there was a particularly bad driver. Nothing immediately comes to mind, but I've I've certainly been a passenger in vehicles where not where I really felt like my life was in danger but where I was just a little bit uncomfortable. I've definitely been in situations where it's like, or you're sitting in the passenger seat and you're wishing you had where like drivers and instructors have set a wheel, like brakes or something on your side. It's like, let me, let me just give me the keys. Let me, let me drive. (laughs) Yeah. The weird thing is on rare occasions when I'm in my own car, if for whatever reason, someone else is driving, it always feels very strange to be a passenger in my own vehicle because it's just such a foreign experience. It's so rare that that happens. Yeah, in a car that you're used to being behind the wheel, it just feels weird sitting anywhere else in the vehicle. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Now let's dive into your crazy driving experiences. What would you say is one of your top three craziest driving experiences? There were a lot on that trip I took. One of the things that comes to mind is in Tajikistan, in, in Central Asia, where we got stopped by some kind of shady traffic cops who were trying to say that we were speeding, though we clearly weren't. And they actually aimed their their radar gun at another car that was speeding. And then they tried to say that it was us. So they were trying to extract a bribe from us. And of course, we didn't speak Tajik or Russian and they didn't speak English, but they showed, pointed to money and said, like, give us something. And we haggled with them for we were probably stopped for half an hour and they got someone on the phone who spoke English and he was trying to say, well, okay, they want you to pay up. Otherwise they're going to take your license to do Shambay, the capital and threatening us. And we kept saying, well, no, we weren't speeding and this is a scam. And we finally managed to get out of it by giving them a bottle of vodka as a bribe and they <laughs> let us go. But in a lot of these countries, when you, you know, travel through in, in the developing world, you come into my experience, you come upon a lot of kind of corruption and things like this. It's kind of inevitable sooner or later. Yeah, we had a similar, not, we didn't get pulled over ourselves, but we heard similar stories of when we went to India because we were traveling between different states. There's 
been like where if you go to a different state and you're from one state, they purposely look for those cars like, oh, you're out of state or like we can pull them over. They're not from this state. So I can see how police in other countries can get away with doing more of those things than, say, in America. I've actually had that happen here in the U.S. When I moved back from Oklahoma and I was living in New Jersey, which is where I'm from, but I still had my Oklahoma plates on my car and I was pulled over at one point where it was very clear I was kind of being profiled or stopped because of my out-of-state plates. They tried to say that I was, as I was driving down the highway, that I drifted a little bit over the the line on the side. It was just ridiculous. And they kept me there for quite a while and made me get out of my car and, and were asking me all these questions. And they were asking me, okay, how come the, your middle name is different on your license? That They were just trying to get me for anything they possibly could. And eventually they couldn't and they let me go. It was just so dumb. And I'm sure it was because I had out-of-state plates, especially from a place like Oklahoma, which when you're in New Jersey seems yeah. totally foreign. It's not like Pennsylvania or Connecticut. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard that the the police, they're way more strict in enforcing laws. Since you are from Jersey and there's that whole law I ha- about you can't be in the left lane uh, unless passing. When you go to like other states, is that just like something that's ingrained in your mind, even if it's not a law there? Or is it like you go to a state like Maryland where that's not a law and you're like, yay, freedom, left lane? <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that was just a New Jersey law. It's just one of those things <laughs> I just kind of take for granted that if you're on the highway, I mean, it's generally kind of rules of the road. I think kind of you stay to the right unless you're passing someone, then you go to the left. And that that is kind of a pet peeve of mine, where if you're driving on the highway and you're in the left, you want to pass people, but then you got someone moving really slow and you can't go around them. And, you know, that, I find that really annoying. That's just one of those things that I've always taken for granted. I didn't realize was unique to where I am, actually. Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't know if there's, there are other states, but like, I, mean, I don't know if you've driven in Maryland, then people will drive wherever they want. And it's like, now you go around me, I am not moving. I would definitely find it frustrating. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know you were mentioning earlier of all the things that happened on that long trip that you took. What are some of those mishaps that occurred during that trip? We had a lot of car trouble. The rules for this event, so it was called the Mongol Rally, and it's, it's an annual event that takes place to raise money for charity, where there's like a few hundred teams each year that drive starting in the UK and they end nowadays it's in Ulan Ude, Siberia, it's just north of Mongolia. And you choose your own route in between. So there's no winners or losers. The goal is just kind of to get to the end without breaking down too badly. And the main rule of the event is that there's there's not a lot of rules of the event, but one of the rules is that they make you take a tiny car, a car that's kind of totally not suitable for a journey of this sort. So they actually limit the engine size. And we ended up taking a Nissan Micra, which is like a little tiny hatchback vehicle that they you know drive around like Europe or basically someone described it as like a middle-aged woman going to get her groceries in central London or something. It's, it's not like a car you take over mountains and through deserts and everything like we did. And as I said, the steering wheel was on the right side because we bought it in the UK. It was manual, which we're not used to. We're used to driving automatic as Americans. And it didn't have air conditioning because these little tiny cars in the UK, it just doesn't get that hot that often. And so they don't really need air conditioning. And these the engines in these little tiny cars just, I guess, can't handle an AC. 
So we had a lot of impediments going into the trip and it was a used car that we bought from someone off Craigslist. And I think the car, maybe we got it inspected by a mechanic ahead of time. They found a little bit of rust, like on the door sills or something. So they welded that back. But I think there was probably more rust that they didn't see. So the the body was like structurally compromised. And as we're going through all these places, over all these bumps and everything over time, just the shaking of the car over, it was 11,000 miles going there. And especially there were a few instances like in Iran where we're driving at nighttime and here we're used to, there'll be speed bumps and there'll be a sign and it'll be bright yellow and you clearly see it's coming up. In Iran, there's these speed bumps where they're not clearly marked and we're not used to this as American drivers. And we'll be driving after dark, this dark road without lights. And suddenly I see this speed bump, like I'm, I'm going 40 miles an hour and this speed bump's 20 feet ahead of me. And there, there were a couple instances where I just, I, I noticed it right when I was almost on top of it and the car like went flying over it really hard. And my brother's asleep in the backseat and he's like jolted awake really quickly. <laughs> and I'm sure that did not help whatever issues there already were with rust on the body of the car. And it got worse and worse over time. We heard it creaking. And by the time we got to Mongolia, the rear axle at one point just, or, or not the, I guess they call it the wishbone, kind of where the axle is. It just cracked one day and the wheel on the, the passenger side bowed out at like a 45 degree angle. And so we had to get that welded. And then a few days later, it cracked again, just beyond the weld. So we have to get it welded again. But that, that was actually the least of our worries. The bigger one was we kept having the car would overheat and we thought it was radiator issues. There, there was a radiator issue, which we, we got that patched. But then we kept having trouble and we kept the problem started all the way as far back as like Germany. And then we took it to a mechanic in, in Romania and then in Turkey. And like we kept stopping at all these mechanics. And eventually, by the time we got to Turkmenistan, we realized that we had blown a head gasket which is like a major car repair. They need to like disassemble the whole engine and take everything apart. And our visa was running out and they wouldn't extend it. And so we had to get the, we had to put the car on a flatbed tow truck and get it towed six hours to the border with Uzbekistan and then wait there about a week for a new head gasket to get shipped from Dubai. So that was a big expensive repair. And then even after they repaired it, they took the whole engine apart and put it back together even in the best of circumstances, that's a tricky job to do. And it's it's not a precise thing. And we ended up still having trouble even after that. Like our car problems really never went away. In many ways, it's a miracle that we eventually made it all the way to the finish line with all of uh, the trouble that we had. And actually, let me read you something quickly that I posted on Instagram at the time. By the time we got to the finish line, the litany of all the the issues we had, all the car problems we had had along the way, after 52 days, when we finally got to the finish line of this rally in just north of Mongolia and Siberia, it had been 53 days and we'd gone through 18 countries on the way there. And then I decided to drive back. But along that way, we went to 10 mechanics. We got towed seven times. We had two broken axles, a blown head gasket, a busted radiator, a broken drive shaft, a tire blowout, and an emergency rescue in Mongolia. Just a whole series of things. Oh my gosh, that's like everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. <laughs> Basically. 
You had more problems in one trip than some people probably do their whole driving careers. Yep. Crazy. And then you said you got stranded in Mongolia. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was, it's a, Mongolia is a very difficult place to get around. If you look at a map of the country, you see these lines going east to west, which you assume are, if not highways, at least some kind of paved road. But at least at the point we were there five years ago, the, much of the country is not paved roads. So just the main east-west roads across Mongolia are in many places just like tracks through the sand and grass that you're following of, of whatever cars went ahead of you. So GPS is of little use. Like, first of all, there's not a lot of cell service, but even if you have satellite service, we, we had several paper maps. We had Google maps. We had a satellite map thing. We were constantly trying to compare them all. And it was still easy to get lost because oftentimes you'd see a single line on the map, but in reality, the trail would split like three or four different ways. And you're trying to figure out, okay, which way should I go? Hopefully they all join up again. It's like very confusing. Or you'd see several ways on the map, but only one way in real life. And there are no signs, not even signs in Mongolian or Russian, just no signs at all in the country. Mongolia has the lowest population density of any country in the world. So very few people around to ask for directions or if you get stranded. So this one day we were driving and... The other thing I should mention is that there's little river crossings, like you'll be driving and then you'll come to this little stream that you need to drive across. In some cases, there was a bridge, but other cases, there were no bridges. That's just the way to go. This little kind of tiny car that we had was just not capable of going in deep water more than a foot or so deep. So we had no choice. This one day we went through this one little stream and we ended up getting stuck on the way out. And we had to wait for a truck to come and, and pull us. And that, that took a while. It was kind of frustrating. And then we were looking at the map and we saw another stream coming up a little later on. And we didn't want to have to go through that again. So we saw that there was like another path that went off to the right. And we figured, okay, well, let's try to take that. It looks like it goes kind of parallel to the main path. And maybe we could avoid the stream and catch up with the main road a little bit later on. Which is all well and good if you're on flat terrain. But the problem is... In this area, it's very hilly and our little car is not capable of going up steep hills. Like it just doesn't have a lot of horsepower. So we start going down this, this side trail and we're getting a little nervous because it's veering a little farther and farther off the main path. And we actually managed to see someone along the way that we asked them, okay, did, again, we don't speak Mongolian or Russian. They don't speak English, but we told them the name of the town we're trying to go to. We pointed this direction and they, they nodded. Yeah, you could go that way. Then we come to this other, this young kid who was probably, I think he was 11 years old and he was herding, like he had this, he was in charge of this herd of like a thousand goats, somehow this 10 year old kid. And we, we tell him where we're going and we point and he's very adamant. He like crosses his arms in front of him and, and he's very adamant. No, you can't go that way. And we're like, oh, well, the other people said we could, and we don't know what to do. we can't really communicate more than that. And we're a little nervous, but at this point we don't have a choice because we had already gone up and over one big hill. And once we went over that hill, we're like, okay, there's no turning back because our car just can't make it back up the way we came. So we had no choice but to keep going. We say goodbye to him. We keep going. And to make a long story short, we end up eventually stranded at the bottom of this like rocky 
canyon, like this ravine where we, we were afraid, okay, will we be able to make it up the other side? There was a little like stream at the bottom. So we crossed that. We barely got out of the stream. Our, our car just couldn't get traction over the rocks to, to get up the, the other side. And we tried everything. We took out the floor mats and tried to put them under the wheels to get traction. We, we tried everything and we're pushing and pulling and our cars, it was our car, my brother and myself, and then our, our friends, Rosie and Jane, they had their car. And our cars were both just stuck. We, we just could not move. Thankfully, we had this like satellite device and we ended up sending a, uh, a message to a friend back in the UK who reached out to the British and American embassies in Mongolia's capital on the other side of the country. And they ended up sending out a team of, of guys from the Mongolian National Emergency Management Agency to come uh, tow us out. Super nice guys refused to take any money and they got us back to the main road. And then after we got home a month later, we actually, we were in touch with the people from the American embassy and they sent us a photo of the U.S. ambassador giving an award to the head of the Mongolian National Emergency Management Agency for rescuing us. We apparently were the first American drivers that they had ever rescued in Mongolia. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> you got that guy a medal. <laughs> yeah. If you had to do this over again, would you pick that same vehicle or would you choose something different? Oh, no, 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 no. I would definitely pick a different vehicle. I, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it made it more interesting. I mean, the organizers of this event say that by having a tiny vehicle that's more likely to break down, it forces you to interact more with the locals. So you're not just speeding through these little towns. And I get that. And I wouldn't have minded breaking down a couple times, but after the third, fourth, fifth time, it kind of gets to be old real fast. And it also gets to be super you know, expensive, even though it's a lot cheaper in these countries. I mean, it would have been ridiculously expensive if we had had to get a head gasket replaced here in the US. People say it's your know, car's total. It's not even worth it. I, I definitely would have liked to have been able to spend more time exploring some of these countries instead of spending time stranded at mechanics yeah i feel like that's something that you want to enjoy like okay yeah be able to interact with all the locals and stuff but having to waste all that time on fixing the car as opposed to actually enjoying the trip is something that's like okay <laughs> come on now yeah, so exactly. since you have been to so many different countries and you've been to so many different states how would you describe drivers in different areas? Would you say there's different types of drivers in specific countries versus like the U.S. or in different states within the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I guess people are definitely better drivers in some places than others. I feel like where I come from, people are pretty confident drivers because I live just outside of New York City and I it doesn't bother me at all, like driving in the city, driving in Midtown with all the traffic. Some people, I mean, a lot of people from other places are not comfortable with that. They can never imagine driving in the city. And actually, even some of my neighbors here in New Jersey, they they never drive in the city. And they're like, I, I couldn't handle that. But for me, it's it's just not a big deal. I'm used to it. It really doesn't phase me, especially after having driven some of these crazy roads on the sides of cliffs in Tajikistan or wherever. Drivers are definitely different in different places. In Iran, the friendliest people I've ever met and, and friendly drivers as well. I mean, they were just so amazed to see tourists, but also American tourists 
where we would be driving down the highway and people would would honk at us and wave and roll down their windows next to us as we're going down the highway and ask, oh, where are you from? And give us the thumbs up as, you know, because they see these outsiders driving. We were like celebrities driving through there. So that was that was always really exciting. I have never quite driven anywhere like that before. And the roads obviously are very different in different places. Driving across Europe, obviously the roads are really good until we hit Southeastern Europe, like Romania and Bulgaria immediately. The highway ended in Romania. It's, it was like they ran out of money to finish building it and suddenly were diverted off on this side road and the roads got really bad really quickly. But then once we got to Turkey, the highways were excellent again. Yeah, I mean... Your situation driving across countries and seeing that drastic difference in roads is probably at a way larger scale, but like that's kind of how I feel driving from Maryland to Pennsylvania. <laughs> Maryland maintains their roads a whole lot better. And then right when we cross the border, you don't even have to see the sign that says entering Pennsylvania. You could just look at the road and be like, that's where Pennsylvania starts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I've had that experienced that in some cases. Yeah. So now that we've heard some of your crazy driving stories, let's dive into what type of driver you are. How would you describe yourself as a driver and would your family and friends agree? I think I'm a pretty average driver. As I said, I'm used to like driving in New York. I've driven all these different places. So I, I feel like I'm pretty confident on the road and things just don't phase me that other that would phase other people. I, I do get impatient sitting in traffic and sometimes I'll take ridiculous detours to try to avoid traffic that end up taking longer than if I just waited and stayed there. It still sucks to just be sitting in a standstill, especially if I'm tired. So I can be impatient at times under those situations. But for the most part, I feel like I'm a pretty average driver. I don't really experience road rage or deal with people who do. I just try to kind of mind my own business and, and get to where I'm going. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people tend to say like, oh my God, I'm a great driver. Everyone else sucks. But it's interesting that you're like, no, I'm an average driver, even though you can handle New York traffic. So I'm pretty sure that that bumps you up a little bit, right? <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm a great driver. I mean, I can, like anyone, I can maybe be a little too distracted at times. And I, I've certainly, I've gotten speeding tickets. I've been in some minor accidents. So I'm not like a perfect driver, but I, I think average is, is fair. And I think most people I know would agree with that. You mentioned that you don't really get road rage, but would you consider yourself someone who honks at other people? No. In fact, I don't have that impulse, which is bad. I probably should. Like, I, I don't know how to get that in me, but there's instances where I should honk and like, I need to think about, okay, now I should honk. Like, it's not like an impulse where I just honk, like other people have that impulse. I, I don't know why. I just, I, I, I guess I'm a nonviolent person or I'm, I'm just, there's something about me that just doesn't have that impulse, um, which is bad because that's what the horn's there for. And it's important. And that's the opposite of so many people around here, like you go in New York, especially, or even here in New Jersey, sometimes the light will change and just a fraction of a second and the person behind you honks if you, you don't move like immediately. And inevitably I'll look in my rear view mirror and they'll see they have New York plates probably because <laughs> New Yorkers tend to be a little bit, I think, less patient than people in New Jersey. Or I mean, these are the subtleties that I recognize, but people in the rest of the country would think New Jerseyans, New Yorkers are all the same. 
That is exactly how I am. Like, I have to think about that. I should have honked in that situation. Like, okay, honk the horn now. <laughs> but then right. it's like, it takes too, too much late. effort <laughs> to think about it. Right. I know you briefly touched on this a little bit earlier, but what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? As I said, my I think my biggest driving pet peeve is people who go really slow in the left lane because sometimes I want to get where I'm going and there should be somewhere where you could pass people. And if, if everyone's going really slow and, and they don't allow that opportunity, like it, again, I, I didn't know, maybe it's not technically the law in other places that you're supposed to keep right except to pass, but I feel like it should be common courtesy or it should be something people think about, even if it's not like a regulation. Yeah, should being the key word, but do they? <laughs> I guess as far as other pet peeves, sometimes unexpected tolls, like in certain places, like when my brother and I drove down to North Carolina a few years ago, I think there was somewhere in, I believe it was Virginia, where they had this weird toll system. There was like a an HOV lane, or I don't know if you know where I'm talking about, where they have, they have pricing, almost like pricing like on Uber or Lyft or wherever, where it changes depending on the time of day and how busy it is or something. So it's like to incentivize people to use certain lanes if it's like less busy or more busy. So yeah, I went on this, on the HOV, in the HOV lane without realizing that at that time I was there, it was like super expensive. Yeah, I think I noticed that when we were, we drove down to Georgia and we cut through North Carolina, I feel like they have something like the NC pass or something like that, where you have to have the pass to drive in the left mostly. So I don't know, maybe if similar to what you're talking about in Virginia, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I bet <laughs> seeing that bill after you're like, shouldn't have done that. Yeah, going back to your left lane pet peeve, we drove up to Boston and I was just amazed at how everyone <laughs> was just going the left lane. If someone was coming behind them, they would just move over. And then if someone faster was coming behind them, they would just move over. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this, this is how driving should work. Now that we heard a little bit about you as a driver, let's go back to your driving first. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? I think the first time, it was a long time ago, but when I first got my license when I was in high school, where you have to, you're under 17, I guess it differs by state. I think in New Jersey, it was 17. So you need to go like with an adult before that. And so I went with my mom the first time, just like to the grocery store or something. And the thing that threw me off then was going around a traffic circle, which if you've never done before, that can be a little bit overwhelming with all these different turnoffs and which lane am I in? If I'm in the right lane, can I continue going straight or do I need to go off that exit? That threw me off. And when my brother, who's a few years younger than me, was taking his driving test or, or, or with an instructor for the first time, and the instructor was saying, is there anything else you want to like test out or anywhere you want to go? I, I told him, make sure you practice going around a, a traffic circle because that can be a bit much. The other thing is more recently, my first time driving uh, stick shift, driving manual, which was a totally new experience for me, having always driven automatic. So I had a, a friend who taught my brother and me in his truck. So we practiced a little bit. So I kind of knew basically how to do it, but still when I actually picked up my car in London and was 
trying it for the first time. Like it, it took me quite a while to really get the hang of it. And then also I realized that it's hard, at least in that car, if I was wearing hiking boots or something like it, it it's hard to do the gentle taps of what you need to do with the big boots. It definitely took me a long time to get the hang of, of driving stick. Which do you prefer now that you've learned to drive stick and hopefully you know how to drive it now. Which do you prefer, manual or automatic? Oh, I still prefer automatic. I mean, it's less to worry about. It's a lot easier. I know some people really like stick and sports cars. They really like the driving experience. I've never been someone who's been into high performance cars or anything like that. I don't mind it as much. Like when I went to Spain a few years ago and I had to rent a car, I ended up renting stick just because it was cheaper. And I was able to get the hang of it again. And and the newer cars, if you don't shift right, if it if it stalls out, it, it'll automatically restart. It's a lot easier, but it's not something I would seek out. If I need to now, I know how to do it and, and I can, but I still prefer driving automatic. How was driving on the left side of the road for the first time? Was it confusing? Did you have moments where you're like, oh no, wait, left, not right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few moments where I would, accidentally get in the wrong lane for just a second until I realized and I would catch myself in the UK. I mean, the theory is that the driver's side, the steering wheel is supposed to be near the center line of the road. If you're, if you want to pass someone so you could look around the vehicle in front of you. And so that was of course a challenge where we had this British car with the steering wheel on the right and we're driving on the left side. But then once we went through the English Channel and, and got into Europe, then suddenly we're driving on the right side, but the steering wheel is also on the right. So if I wanted to pass a big truck ahead of me, I had to you know, tell my brother who's in the passenger seat to look around for me to tell me if it was safe. That was a bit of a challenge. So it, it definitely took some time to get the hang of it. Wow, that that must have been so confusing. At least you had someone in your passenger seat. Like, imagine having to drive on the right, not being able to see anything. You just can't pass anyone then, Uh, unless it's a small car you could easily see around, but like a big truck or something, forget about. No, it just would not be safe. Yep, and then you'd be stuck in traffic, which you don't like. (laughs) Yeah. How would you describe your actual driving test experience? And were you able to pass on the first try? I did pass my first time that i mean i didn't i wasn't a good parallel parker at the very beginning and he said okay you got to work on that but he i was fine at everything else so he let me go that's interesting because we have to do we had to do parallel parking here and then when our brother went to go do it they took it off but they make you do parallel parking first because they know that's where everyone fails and then they just don't let you continue the rest of the test oh wow yeah Okay. It's, I mean, it's so much easier now that so many cars have backup cameras. I'm spoiled, but my car has that. And I, it's annoying when I, I have to be in a vehicle that doesn't have a backup camera. It makes it so much easier. I don't know why they didn't have this years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about having the blind, like your blind spot mirrors on SUVs and stuff. Now that I have that, I, when I get in a car that doesn't have it, like, oh my God, how did I survive without this? Now that we've heard a little bit about your past driving experiences and your current driving experiences, let's talk a little bit about the future of driving. With the possibility of self-driving cars becoming an option in the future, is this something that you would get in? And what are your thoughts on self-driving cars? I'm not initially comfortable with it. I mean, I guess like anything, I'd eventually get used to it. But 
I don't know if you've seen, there's a, a video that someone posted online where there's a few test areas where they started allowing self-driving cars, including there's an area somewhere, I think in Arizona, I guess it's Google, I think is running it. And there's this guy who like, he's a self-driving car enthusiast. And so it's like a Uber kind of a thing or whatever Lyft where you, you go on an app and you call the car to come pick you up. And there was some traffic cones like a construction area or something and the car just got totally confused and ended up stopping in the middle of traffic and like blocking two lanes and he was stuck there for the longest time and he's in the in the back of the car he can't do anything and he calls the phone number and is you know of, of google or whatever and is telling them the issue and so they have like a team of people that they can send out in situations like this like actually get in the driver's seat and take over for the car manually the people arrive but then the car suddenly decides to start going again. And so they're chasing after it. And this whole thing went on for like 45 minutes and it kept the car kept stopping in the most inconvenient places. And thankfully no one was ever unsafe, but it was just super frustrating. And they clearly still have a lot of kinks that they need to work out. I certainly, I, I think the technology is helpful. Like in some of like the Teslas where you've seen where there's, there's an actual person driving, but there's almost about to be an accident and the car recognizes it somehow way fractions of a second before the person does, before the driver does and is able to react. And so that's super helpful, but there's still a driver there to, to take over as well. So I, I have no problems with that. And I think that's really great. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the hybrid model where it's like still a driver there, but then it has those added safety features is probably more willing to be accepted by people and more likely to be like put out sooner rather than the completely selfless driving cars, driverless cars. There's a lot that has to be taught to the machine for it to be able to function on a busy highway or a busy road. Right. Yeah. Bonus question time. Are you ready? Okay, I guess so. <laughs> that not sound too enthusiastic. Oh, no. <laughs> If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Aside from keep right, except to pass, that's a tough one. I don't know. I mean, I guess I could say coming from New Jersey, where we're used to, we're the only state where you don't have to pump your own gas. It's it's nice to not have to get out. And I, I don't mind it. My mom was always like, I, I don't want to pump my own gas. One of you kids, can you get out and do it? Or there's even a bumper sticker here that says like Jersey girls don't pump gas or something. <laughs> State where uh, there's gas station attendants everywhere. I don't know why it's still the law. I guess people are resistant whenever they try to change it. That would be nice to not have to pump my own gas if I went other places, but it's it's a very minor thing. It's not like I really mind. And maybe maybe the gas might be slightly cheaper in other places if they don't need to pay an attendant. I don't know. At least you know how to pump gas if you had to. Oh, yeah. I know someone from New Jersey and they, they I guess they never learned because that's all. You've always had someone pump it for you and then they accidentally pump diesel into their car. I just saw like a meme about that or something where some like college girl, a girl went off to college in, in another state. She was from New Jersey and she put like diesel in her car. You hear stories like that. Well, because it's like... Then if that's all you've ever known, you were never taught. So then it's like, now you can't go anywhere and pump your own gas. I'm the opposite. I like to be able to pump my own gas. Every time we go through New Jersey, I'm like, oh, great. They're going to pump my gas for me. <laughs> I'm just used to it. I, I really don't mind that much. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's nice when it's like super cold and rainy or snowing or something. It's nice not to have to get out. 
I just feel like it takes longer because you have to wait for them as opposed to you can just get out and do it and get on with your day. (laughs) But I guess they could implement for your law that you wanted to, this minor law, I guess they could implement like a hybrid model for that too, where it's like if you want someone to pump, there's someone there that you can like be like, okay. Or and then if you want to do it yourself, just do it yourself and (laughs) go on. I'd be open to that. Do you have any final thoughts or any tips that you would like to give other drivers? Don't rely too much on GPS for a few reasons. When I was in Kyrgyzstan, we were trying to go from one place to another and we all plugged it into Google Maps on our phones and we trusted Google Maps. We thought, okay, this is where we're starting. This is where we're ending. It'll be fun. And it was going to be a long drive anyway. It was going to be like a 10 to 12 hour drive. But Google ended up routing us a totally different way than we thought through the mountains on this little side road that when I looked at the GPS at one point I zoomed in and the the line was so squiggly through this mountain pass and what was going to be a 10 to 12 hour trip to begin with ended up taking like two days instead. So you need to be really careful with GPS and I still hold on to my paper maps. I, I'm like the last one who does that. People laugh at me why I have maps in my car and I hardly ever use them. But I like to just have them there as a safety. There's some, all the satellites go out or who knows, you know, just to have a backup. And also just in terms of like driving, going on a road trip and exploring, if you're just using GPS, it's like tunnel vision. You don't know what's around you and you don't really know your way around and you you just... You're, you're just focused so much on the destination, but sometimes the journey is really great also. So yeah, it's it's good to like have it, but don't rely on it too much and, and be flexible. Yeah, that's a really great point because you never know when technology might fail you or there might be an instance where it doesn't work. And then what are you going to do if you have no backup plan? That's a really good tip. Before we let you go, I know you have a podcast of your own. Could you tell us a little bit about it and where can our listeners find it? My show is called Far From Home, where I tell fascinating stories from faraway places from my travels. And actually, the whole first season of my show was about this road trip I took to Mongolia. I I actually recorded the whole journey so you could hear everything going on as we're forced to pay bribes in Tajikistan and deal with border guards and breakdown in all these places. You could actually hear it as it's happening. The show is called Far From Home. You could check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at farfromhomepodcast.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun hearing your crazy experiences on the Mongol rally. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Like Scott said, he probably would have enjoyed the Mongol rally if he didn't have to go through all the car problems that he went through. And I feel like I personally agree with him. But would you participate in something like the Mongol rally? I don't know. I mean, it seems really cool, but I don't know if I have that survivor, like, you know, like survivor type instinct type thing where I'd be okay living in my car for however long it took them to drive. And I having to deal with all those car problems that he listed off. Oh, my gosh. And then, like, you can't do it in this country, but you can do it in this country. So you had to go back across the border and wait for so long. And it's like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't and know. then his visa was about to expire, or it did expire. Yeah, and then he had to wait to get his car fixed in another country. Yeah, it was just, it just sounded rough. Would you, would you do the Mongol rally? On one end, it would be fun. 
but I feel like it should be, it would have to be in different countries. <laughs> Not the Middle like, East. Like if there was oh. some like I would need a stepping like a beginner rally to participate in before beginner I begin a rally in Maryland. Here we go. I was thinking more <laughs> along the lines of maybe if they had New something England. across like the states of the U.S. and do like a because we are technically. You could say we're little countries because we're it's such a huge space. That's like, true. We could do a rally through X number of states or something like a cross run, co- cross country road trip type of thing. I, I think would that like would be that. cool. I'm down. Sign me up. Let's yeah. do this. I feel like that would be a great stepping stone into whether or not I would want to do the Mongol rally. And then we get to explore the country. Yeah. Oh yes. Is there a thing that does that? That'd be cool. That would be cool. But not in that tiny uh, British car driving on the opposite side. Right hand steering on a right hand side driving. No. That was funny because they got their car in England, I think he said, yes. right? But then the rest of the countries they drove through was on the opposite side. So yeah, yeah, it probably would have been better off if they got the car that drove on the correct side for most of the countries and then on the one country. It was okay yeah. if it was on the opposite side. I wonder, are there regulations in terms of like if your car is the opposite way of the typical cars? Are you allowed yeah. to do that? Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering too. Like, are are they okay with you? Like, oh, here comes someone driving around the like you know the steering wheels on the right. Uh, whatever, <laughs> more power to you. Well, that was Scott. We hope you enjoyed hearing his driving stories, and be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek of next week's episode with Jen Amos, who shares about the time that she was a suspect in a Tennessee. RV bombing, racing on the Olympic Parkway, and the lady who got upset at her for reverse parking. Thank you for tuning in this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends or leaving us a review. It truly does help us get discovered. Thanks for choosing to drive with us and we'll see you next week. We decided to do an RV road trip to Nashville. And when we arrived, we actually arrived on Christmas Eve pretty late at night. And we happened to have found parking right behind the Nissan stadium on Christmas morning. We woke up to the RV shaking and we feel a bomb go off. The first thing I see across the Cumberland River is, is smoke. You see smoke coming out and you don't know where it's coming from yet. Within like 10, 15 minutes, you see like 20 cars going over the bridge. And it was all very sudden. My husband and I agreed, like, maybe we should make the most out of this. Despite the craziness that's going on, and apparently this was on the news all over, despite that, we didn't know. So we start driving around and we end up going to downtown Nashville. And we are just about to find parking when we had five cops pull us over. We had two cars pull up in front of us, two cars behind us, and one next to us.